Hi, this is Laura with Kick-Ass in Life, where I help you get hired fast, be smart with money, and be a happier and healthier you. This episode is a total treat to share. So most of you know I'm a total wellness junkie. I love to find new ways to be happier and healthier, whether it be creating an exercise routine to finding a way to meditate, paying attention to my stress levels, as well as what I eat and how I move. All of those things are so paramount to how I feel and how I act on a daily basis. But sometimes it can be hard to find reliable information on health and wellness. In today's episode, I talked to the editor-in-chief of Self, Carolyn Kilstra, about how she got started in the industry. Carolyn started at the helm of Self just as it was transitioning into a digital-led media organization from a legacy print brand. She was on deadline to create a strategy, illustrate how Self was different from other wellness brands, create an editorial plan and voice for the brand, all of which she was able to do very successfully, and the media industry took notice. Self is helping people live healthier lives. It's an award-winning media brand that values accuracy in an often saturated wellness industry. Carolyn took her passion for storytelling and health and found a niche in the wellness media industry, and it's been a treat following her career. Carolyn has so much to share about digital media. In today's episode, we talk about how to stand apart when you're first finding your footing early on in your career, how to analyze what you're feeling when you're feeling insecure or inadequate, how to manage up appropriately, and so much more. The key to when you're feeling insecure or like you don't know whether or not you'll be capable of something is to recognize the difference between, is this something that I can learn versus is this an innate skill that I don't have that will take a really long time to develop? what is the source of the lack of confidence and and really like probe that and recognize when, okay, this is about lack of knowledge and I know I'm smart and I know I can learn versus, okay, this is about, this isn't a good personality fit. And maybe that's a sign that I actually shouldn't pursue it. As a hiring manager for many roles, Carolyn has reviewed over a thousand resumes and cover letters And she goes into super specific detail about how a hiring manager looks at your marketing materials and how to format your cover letter. We have so much to talk about. Let's get started. Carolyn, thank you for being on the Kick-Ass in Life podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you more about your career path to lead you where you are today. But why don't you start with giving us an intro of who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to talk to you again. Um, I am the editor-in-chief of Self. Self is a uh, 40-year-old, we just turned 40 this year, 40-year-old health and wellness brand um, that originated as a magazine. And uh, two years ago, two and a half years ago, when I became editor-in-chief, transitioned to a digital-led media organization. Um, So our our mission as a brand is to help people live healthier lives. And we do that um, in... We do that by adhering to four key brand values, uh, inclusivity, because wellness is for everyone, accuracy, because it's on, information is only helpful and empowering if it's true, empathy, because people just want to feel supported and inspired. They don't want to feel judged or discouraged, and autonomy, because the things you do with your body are your choice. Um, I have been in the media world Uh, health and wellness media world for a little over a decade now um, and have worked at a wide range of publications. Started at Men's Health, went to Cosmopolitan, went to Women's Health, then to BuzzFeed and have been itself for uh, a little over a little over three years now. That's incredible. I think that mission is so important, especially now when life is just busier 
things are more stressful and for there to be a place to go for the information that is accurate and helpful and easily accessible, I think is, is so, so important. Um, so when you found yourself on that media path, what, what drew you to that when you were just getting started in your career and especially like when it came to the health media specifically? Yeah. So, um, I always really loved storytelling. Uh, I, I was a history major and creative writing minor in college. Um, much to my parents' chagrin, they were both doctors and they were hoping one of their four children would become a doctor and so far no, no dice. <laughs> um, so they were thrilled when I became a journalist, um, as you can imagine. But as much as I liked storytelling and you know, um, writing, I also, I think because of my background have always had an interest in health and wellness. Um, I also kind of, uh, feel like my incredible privilege of, of growing up kind of up close and personal to the medical establishment, um, helped me in a way as a journalist, because I don't particularly feel, um, intimidated by doctors. Right. And, and I don't mind stopping doctors when I'm talking to them and saying, hey, can you actually speak to me like I'm five? Or can you explain that in plain English, please? Um, so it was kind of a natural fit. I loved writing. I loved talking to people. I loved uh, storytelling. And then I also had an act for um, translating like kind of complicated medical health information into accessible um, plain English. Yeah. I think that's I think that's so cool, and that's very important in terms of trying to get the message across about why why paying attention to your health and wellness isn't is so important. Um, so, what was your first job, and and what were some of your the top learnings that you had from your first job? What were some ways that you really tried to stand I, I'll apart just talk and about men's noticed? health um, because that was the first job that I had after college. It was a six month internship, um, and it was supposed to just be six months. I, I moved to Emmaus, Pennsylvania. I actually lived in Allentown, Pennsylvania, um, straight out of school. And my plan was to, as soon as the internship was over, to move to New York City and get another job and hang out with all my friends. Um, but then about halfway through that internship, because I graduated in June 2008, about halfway through that internship, uh, the economy went off a cliff. <laughs> and... Um, the entire industry and many, many industries uh, were in serious trouble and laid off huge percentages of the workforce. And there was no, there were no jobs to be had. Um, so I, you know, I was facing down the end of this internship and with no opportunity and there was no way that I would be moving to New York city without a job. Cause how would I pay for that? Um, and you know, I was lucky because at the time I knew I could always move home with my parents if I needed to. Um, but I really wanted to make it work in this industry that I was super excited about. Um, and honestly, I just, I worked my ass off, um, way too many hours of the day to try and, um, make a good impression. And I ended up getting a temp position for a while at men's health. And, um, and then eventually ended up getting a full-time job when the economy started rebounding, uh, also at Men's Health. So I was there for a number of years um, at the beginning of my career. And a lot of the reason I was successful was just pure luck. Um, really lucky that there was a temp position open at the end of my internship. Really lucky that um, 
you know, I, I knew the right people and had impressed the right people that they were willing to go to bat for me for that temp position. Um, things like that. I kind of uh, really lucky that I had the privilege of, of not being totally, totally freaked out about it because I knew I had this, this safety net waiting for me. Right. Um, so a lot of it for me was just, was luck and privilege. Um, but you know, it's kind of funny cause I was, I was thinking about this conversation and like how I was going to answer it. And I think that I actually have a lot more insights into how entry-level employees can do a good job because of my experience as a manager than, than whatever I did or learned as an entry-level employee. Um, and so I'm happy to talk to you as like management perspective, what really, really impresses me. Yeah, I think that would be a, I think that would be great insight for sort of your top recommendations for those who are just getting started in their careers and how they can really stand apart and get noticed because so much in just getting a job is is getting past that black hole of applications. And once once you're there trying to make a really, really great impression and and doing the work as you did when you had that that temp position, you you showed up, you worked really hard and you did the work. There are no shortcuts. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about from your perspective of a manager what you look for in a really good employee. Yeah. So I think um there's kind of two parts to that question. The first one is about how do you stand out during the job application process? And then the second one is how do you stand out like once you've gotten the job? Um and during the job application process, I, I've probably looked at over a thousand entry-level resumes um, so far in my career, possibly more than that. I've read that like well over a thousand cover letters. Um, and what's so interesting to me, and I think is ac- I actually like feel really irritated about this. I feel like colleges and universities do not prepare graduates for how to apply to jobs. Like if you go and spend all this money at a four-year institution. And then they don't do anything useful to help you get going in the workforce. It's kind of, it just feels so um, like such a huge missed opportunity and so unfortunate um, because I see entry-level employees making a lot of the same mistakes over and over and over again. Um, I would say a really important thing is to do your research and to take your time when you're applying um, so that when you do apply, your cover letter is concise and specific and tailored to the job and the company that you're applying to. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten cover letters that got the brand name wrong. (laughs) Right. Um, Which I understand, like I completely get how that happens. It's because you're freaked out. You need a job. Of course you need a job and you're applying to a lot of different places at the same time. Um, But you know, it takes, it takes a little extra time to do the research about the, about the, about the company. And it's not just about getting the company name right. It's also about understanding what the company does and understanding what the values are and understanding what makes the company special. Um, And so that's like step one is make sure that you do your research about the company that you're applying to and make sure that you tailor your cover letter to that company specifically. The other thing about the cover letter is that um, a lot of a lot of entry-level job seekers will talk about how the job is going to be great for them. It's going to be great for their career. This is going to make my career, whatever. And it's like, that's, I, I know that this job is going to be good for you, but what I'm looking for is how are you going to be good for the job? So the cover letter really should like, there's, there's a, a very specific format. That's like easy. It doesn't have to be fancy or ridiculous. It just has to be introduce yourself, say that you're excited to apply for the position. Um, 
say that your background makes you an excellent candidate to, to excel at this position. Describe the relevant and specific instances from your work or your volunteer history that would apply to the job in question. Um, and make it about how, like, specifically how you and your experiences can make you an asset to the company. Um, you know, and remember that a manager is typically hiring somebody who's going to make their own job easier. So show in your cover letter and in your interview how you can be that person. Um, it's just, and, and keep it short, keep it to one page, ideally a little less. Um, and as far as like, you know, there's all these job portals, you like apply, you, you send your resume and you send in your cover letter and then you never hear anything like that's, it's so demoralizing as much as is possible, if at all possible, try and get your cover letter and resume to an actual person instead of just in, just in a portal. Um, so try and figure out who the hiring manager is. And if you can send them an email with your cover letter and resume attached. Um, that's okay. You know, it's, it's go the extra mile to try and get it in front of a human being. And that dramatically increases your chances of, of getting an interview. Yeah, that, that, that is such great advice and people don't do it enough because I think they're, they're scared of what, oh, I'm, I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to do X, Y, Z. But at the same time, if somebody doesn't see it, it your, your application is just going to the black hole with so many others. So you have to do the things that other people don't do. So you have to do the, the outreach and you have to show your, your, your interest in why you are uniquely qualified for that position. Um, so I think that's, I think that's great advice. And I love the framework of the, the cover letter because people do read it and it does matter. So put a little extra thought into making it really good. Yeah. I mean, um, it, you know, it's cover letters are a way to kind of give a little bit of color to the things that are on your resume. I think something else that's really helpful, at least in media, this is fairly specific to media, but when somebody applies and I see their resume and I see their cover letter, I generally want to see, do they have a personal website where they um, have like a portfolio of the work that they've already done? Um, I will always click on that personal website and see how they're presenting themselves and um, what they say about themselves and uh, get a better sense of the breadth of the work that they've done. Um, and it can be work that you did during college. It could be writing that you did for the school newspaper or, you know, what a personal blog, even, um, I think just being very easily accessible, easy to find, um, making your email incredibly easy to find that sort of thing. Super helpful. I would also say it's super helpful to be on LinkedIn. Um, I recruit a ton of people from LinkedIn who I find on LinkedIn. Um, so it's okay if you don't know anybody else on LinkedIn, but having like a professional, nice looking LinkedIn profile, it, it can't hurt you. Um, making sure that your own social media profiles aren't completely work inappropriate. Um, if they are like lock them down, you know what I mean? Like things that won't, these are the things that we pay attention to as hiring managers. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Yeah. But I think that creating a portfolio of you because it's how, how you're, you're explaining your abilities, how you're shaping the work that you do because you get hired off of your resume and cover letter, sure, but your employer wants to know that you've done done the work and are able to show up. And for me, um, I always recommend uh, folks buy that buy that URL of their name and and just yeah. start putting start putting their work up there, and not not putting everything up there, but putting their best uh, representation of who they are and what they do because. 
um, yeah, it paints a whole picture of a person rather than just the pages of the resume and the cover letter. Yeah, totally. And Squarespace um, makes it incredibly easy to make your own website. So like you don't have to know anything about building a website um, to, to create something that looks really nice and clean and professional. Yeah. And what about what are some top tips uh, for once you're in that job to do a really great job and get noticed and, and get promoted? What are some ways that you look to your employees um, for the ones that are doing excelling? What, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, it looks like doing every single task that you're assigned like to the absolute best of your ability. Um, entry-level positions are really tough because you get into this industry and they're not really a they're not usually the best way to tell what like a career in the industry is actually going to be like um, because they're so often require you to do work that is super super not glamorous um, not interesting um, potentially very boring um, and and in, in a lot of cases, a lot of people may feel that the work is beneath them. They're like, why would I need to get coffee? Why would I need to, you know, staple all these papers? This is so like, I got a, an education for this. Like, um, <laughs> I, I think, and I understand, I understand the, and you know, the angst there and the anxiety there and, and, and the anxiety of, of like, is this what my life is? Um, but the best advice I can give you is to, you know, if you are asked to make photocopies and staple together, like hundreds of pages, like you should make the cleanest photocopies you can in the quickest time possible with the tidiest staples, like take pride in your work and do an absolutely excellent job of, of presentation. And then your boss will trust you more to do more complicated, maybe more interesting stuff. if you drag your feet or complain or don't do the work, then they're never going to trust you with things that you actually might want to do. Um, and then, and then the other thing to remember is, um, uh, I think the people who are most successful at, at entry level jobs, um, are the people who know how to kind of manage expectations effectively, um, and communicate effectively. There's a lot of managing up, Um, which is a tough thing. And it's not something that anyone ever teaches you. But something I like to say is that it's really good to learn how to say yes, but. Um, So let's say you have a million things on your plate and your boss comes by and is like, I need you to do this other thing. And there's like three options here. One is that you say yes, and you do it and you make yourself miserable and you're at work all hours of the day and you get it done in time. The other option is that you say yes and you don't do it in time. And then your boss is like, why are you so unreliable? Um, A third option is you say no. And then your boss is like, why are you not helpful? And then the fourth best option is you say, yes, of course I'll do that. I actually, while I have you, I'd appreciate you helping me figure out how to prioritize the work that's on my plate. so maybe not yes, but, but yes, actually. Um, yes, of course. Uh, actually, can you help me figure out what I need to be working on first? Let me give you a rundown of the things that I'm working on. What do you think is most important here? And, and then that is kind of a reminder to your boss that, oh, oh, you've got a lot going on. And actually, maybe this little thing that I just asked you to do is not important at all. Or maybe I can ask somebody else to do it. Or maybe this is all important, but now I understand that you're working on 20 million things. And um, that last thing that you just mentioned can wait until tomorrow. 
you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like enlisting your boss's help and figuring out how to make sure that you're meeting deadlines that you need to meet, that your boss knows when they can expect the things that they need. Um, and that you still seem agreeable and, and happy to do the work that you're there, that you've been hired to do. Well said. I think that's so smart. And I think that if you put into practice everything that you said, your manager would be so happy with you because I think so much of, of doing the work is, is showing up and having a good attitude. But I love what you say about having your boss help you prioritize because you may be not in the position of knowing exactly what, what takes precedent when you have your list of responsibilities, but your manager does. And then that's a good reminder to them how much you are actually accomplishing and the work that you're doing. Um, so I think that's great. Um, so I wanted to transition a little bit about when you um, took the responsibilities and took over as editor-in-chief of Self um, and what that was like for you. At what point did you get that news? Because I know that um, you had some other personal news kind of happen simultaneously um, They you, when you found out you were pregnant, um, <laughs> kind of around the same time. So I'd love to talk about a little bit about that, that yes. transition for you yeah. and how you you said yes to accepting more responsibility, but at the same time, um, you know, understanding that you were going to go through this additional life stage. So what, how did you make that work for you? Yeah. So, um, I found out I was pregnant around Thanksgiving and then on December 1st, um, was told that the magazine was folding in print and that I was going to be editor in chief effective basically the next day. Um, and so it was like a week before, a week, I had found out I was pregnant like a week before, five days before or something. Um, so it was a lot. I was a little nauseated for a lot of reasons. Um, and it was also a really, really huge kind of scary challenge, even without the pregnancy, because at the time there hadn't really been an example of a legacy print brand that had successfully transitioned to digital and survived. So I didn't totally know what success looked like. Um, we were kind of battling an issue that people thought that because the print brand was gone, that the whole brand was gone. So we had like had to prove to people that we were still here. Um, we needed to make sure that we were fully differentiated within the wellness space. It's super, super crowded right now. Um, so how do we stand out in this crowded market? And and then how do I make sure that there's a, an actual business um, that we can actually make money doing what we were doing? We needed to redefine the business. Um, and, and and in the meantime, I had at that point like another eight eight months, eight or nine months to like to get all of this turned around um, before I had my baby. So um, I had a little bit of a deadline, um, which was pretty overwhelming. But you know, sometimes when it rains, it pours, and I'm I'm a really kind of operational type of person. I'm like, I, I like making lists. I like making schedules. I like making processes and plans. And so I just created, I just created a strategy and then systematically executed on it. Um, we defined the brand's mission and values, which I mentioned earlier. Um, and then from there, we made sure that everything we were doing was laddering up to that mission and those values. And, um, we created a, a business plan and we create, you know, we reorged the team a little bit to make sure that we were, we were accomplishing and focusing on the things that we needed to focus on. Um, and then just kind of nose to the grindstone went about our business and, um, and it's been like more successful than I could have possibly dreamed of. I'm so thrilled with where we are today. Um, you know, 
last year, our revenue was up 108% year wow. over year. And we are profitable ahead of schedule. And we hit 16 million on Comscore, 60 million unique visitors per month on Comscore in March, which is the biggest that we've ever been, ever. Um, and we launched successfully on Snapchat Discover, where we have 10 million visitors every single month, totally different than the ones on the website, because the website's a little older. And Snapchat, as you know, is really young people. So we're revitalizing the brand and, and introducing the brand to a whole new generation of people. We won a bunch of really exciting awards last year. We won an ASME award, a national magazine award for social media. We won an ad age A-list, ad week hot list, um, a Webby People's Choice Award. It's just been an incredible run. Um, and I'm kind of like looking back on it being like, wow, I can't believe that that worked. <laughs> um, but I think it's really a testament to just like, well, you got to do it. So how are we going to get this done? Um, and then just and then just doing it. Well, congratulations. I think that is so incredible. And it's been such a delight to follow along um, with all of self-success over the past uh, past year and 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 more. And and it's it is incredible that you accepted that that responsibility and that additional challenge, you know, while dealing with all this stuff on, you know, on the on your personal end. And what would you say to somebody who to others that are thinking about family planning and also yet they want to step up in their career, what would you say to them? I think it's, oh man, that's a really tough one. Um, I think the truth is that there's no good time. You know, it's like, you can't plan, you can't plan for when, like ideally in your career, you're going to have kids. I think my perspective is just, if you want to have kids, you should have kids. Um, and you'll figure it out. Um, and hopefully you work for a company that, um, has progressive values about it and gives good, generous maternity leave or paternity leave or family leave rather, um, has, has excellent lactation facilities, allows you to breast, allows you to breast pump during work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I think it's a really tough question because, I'm in a really, really, really fortunate position in that I was the boss. Actually, being the boss made this so much easier for me, I think, than um, than if I weren't the boss because I control my own schedule and, um, I you know nobody's checking in on me where I am. I can work from home if I need to. I had all the you know there's a bunch of doctor's appointments when you're pregnant and and I could go to them anytime I wanted to because I controlled my own schedule. Um, and and there's a tremendous luxury in that, you know. Um, and so I, I, I wish I had better advice to people um, other than like, you know, make, having a support network is super important. Having a, a good partner makes things a million times easier. Um, the more flexibility you have at your job, the easier it'll be. But ultimately, like there's, there's no way to actually plan for this. You don't know how long it's going to take you to get pregnant. You don't know if you're going to have difficulty getting pregnant. Um, and so the best advice is, is just like, if you want children, um, you should have children. I think that is good advice. And I think just the fact that you can figure it out, you are more capable than you think you are, um, in a lot of ways. And so you kind of, you rise to the challenge. And I think some of that is really good advice in in terms of finding a good support network and finding a good opportunity where, you know, where you can find some semblance of balance. Yeah, I would add to that, know your rights. Um, there's laws around this stuff. 
Um, and if your if your job is being discriminatory or um, not providing you with the resources that they are required to by law, you should be aware of that. Absolutely. Um, so, do you ever experience imposter syndrome? So you you put yourself out there a lot. You put yourself out on social media. You're always speaking on panels on behalf of self and offering advice to all different types of folks. So. Do you ever experience imposter syndrome? And if you do, how do you deal with it? Um, I, I do think, um, I'm trying to think about this. I have funny feelings about imposter syndrome because I think in some ways we've pathologized totally normal feelings. Um, I, I think also like there's all this research that shows like men are always like so confident and women always like question their ability and so on. Um, but I also think like it's, actually normal and totally okay to feel like, oh, I don't have the experience for something. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Um, I think that running around with like completely outrageous confidence isn't necessarily um, realistic and not something that we should like expect of ourselves. Um, I think like the key to like when you're feeling like insecure or like you don't know whether or not you'll be capable of something is to recognize the difference between um, is this something that I can learn versus is this like an innate skill that I don't have that like will take a really long time to develop, right? So like I might not know specific details about how like say marketing works, but like could I ever learn like could I ever learn those details? Probably. Um, is there a job in which like my personality is not well suited to like the tasks at hand. Yes. And I should be, I need to be um, conscientious about this job is going to require me to schmooze five days a week and I hate schmoozing. So maybe I'm not going to like this job. You know what I mean? So it's like, what is the source of the lack of confidence and, and really like probe that and recognize when, okay, this is about lack of knowledge and I know I'm smart and I know I can learn versus, okay, this is about, this isn't a good personality fit. And maybe that's a sign that like, I actually shouldn't pursue it, you know? And I I think that we, I think, again, we pathologize like feeling insecure as if it's like always a bad thing when in fact, like we should look at it as checking, like an opportunity to check in with your, check in with yourself um, and, and try and decide like what exactly you're feeling uncomfortable about. That's great advice. I think just understanding, first of all, understanding that you're feeling something and, and before it, you know, totally affects you and overcomes you. And, and then I like what you said about, you know, asking yourself these questions about what is really behind that feeling um, and how can you take action to, to help that. And whether it be, you know, maybe it is something that you need to learn more about, or maybe it is leaning into maybe one of your strengths instead of the thing that it's asking you to do that feels less of a strength. Um, I think that, uh, but I think just being aware that you're feeling something is, um, is halfway to even, even getting there and addressing it. Why don't you share what's next for you and then how, how people can stay, stay in contact with you? Well, at self, we have a lot of really exciting things planned. People can reach out to me or by following me on Instagram at Carolyn Kilstra or Twitter at Carolyn Kilstra and always check out self.com. Carolyn, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Laura. This is so nice talking to you. Thank you so much to Carolyn for all of her wise words. And thanks to you for giving this a listen. If you're trying to be a little bit happier and healthier, and who isn't, I invite you to follow self on social media, visit the site, 
there's so many resources to get a little bit more information about how to be a little bit happier and healthier. Here are today's top takeaways. What Carolyn said about a cover letter is so helpful. Cover letters are never easy and they are never fun and it's so easy to do it wrong. So do your research, take your time when you're applying so that when you do apply, you're concise, you're specific, and you're tailoring the cover letter to the job and the company you're applying for. Number two, take pride in your work and do an excellent job in your presentation and your boss will trust you to do bigger things and more interesting stuff. How Carolyn described what it was like to make photocopies. Yes, it's a boring job. Is it an entry level task that you might be tasked with when you're doing that? Yes, but make them great staples. Make clean copies. Do it as quickly as you can. Doing those little things right makes a huge impact on how to get trusted with the bigger things. Number three. I really enjoyed what Carolyn said about imposter syndrome. Sometimes we can make these bigger things out of something that feels so natural. But the most important thing is to really take stock into how you are feeling. And and feeling inadequate or insecure, it's a total natural feeling. So if you really pay attention to what you're feeling, recognize is it something that you can learn from or is it an innate skill that you may not have that can help you make an action plan. So whether it be you need to learn something um, or maybe find another opportunity that's more your fit, at least you know that if you recognize how you're feeling. That's it for today. Thank you so much for giving this a listen. If you like this episode, please rate it, review it, share it. It helps others find it. Don't forget to check out my ebook, Kick Ass in Your Career, now live on Amazon. And if you have any questions, email me, kickassinyourlife at gmail.com. I want to help you. I do this for you. So let me know how I can do that. Follow along on social media, kickassin.life on Instagram. Also, that's a URL where you can go and get more information about this podcast and all the top takeaways to help you get hired fast and thrive in your career. So go kick ass in your life. Until next time.